Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and we're here continuing our journey through the last seven minutes of Captain America as Andy ruins it for all of us. That's my job. That's my job. Today, we're talking about Minute 107, which begins with trying to force her down and ends with the start of Steve's and Peggy's last conversation. Back on the show, it's Heidi Bennett from Vibrant Visionaries. Hello, Heidi. Mm. (laughs) Vibrant Visionaries, yes. It's almost a tongue twister. Um, Howdy. Yeah, it is a little bit. Um, Hi. Hi, guys. Hi, Heidi. (laughs) So, um, okay. So, before, as we start this minute. As yes, just please make your case, counselor. No, this is not a case. I just want to just I'm trying to be start with some facts. Mm-hmm. Just trying to clock some things. Okay. Okay. So there really haven't been any moments in the movie since we saw the plane take off where we could cut quote real time out of the movie to kind of compress time. Like literally, like once Steve jumps onto the uh, the landing uh, gear for the plane and comes on board. It's almost real time. Like the only time we're not really seeing what's going on is when Steve creeps from the crashed um, uh, drop plane into the cockpit. That's the only time. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it kind of is close to real time as far as what we're watching. And the plane only took off seven minutes ago. So I was trying to do some calculations, trying to figure out where he could be and how fast he's moving. Because uh, he's saying your he's, mistake. Well, no, no, no. It's I'm just I'm just putting context to all of this this okay. none of this is problem um he says he's kind of in the middle of the nowhere in middle of nowhere which is kind of somewhere over the arctic based on the maps he kind of seems to be off the northern shores of the arctic area in canada it's really hard to tell because those maps don't look like anything that i could find it is about four thousand one hundred miles from Austria to new york and it looks like he's about two-thirds the way there which means that the plane is flying about 400 miles an hour which at the time is actually doable for some of these rocket powered planes that were out there. So that was just what I was trying to figure out. Like how doable is all of this? Now, when Red Skull starts the plane up, he does kind of seem to use the Tesseract as its energy source because he puts it into the little cube console and now it's gone. So Right. Is it still able to fly by itself or is it just kind of slowly on its way down regardless of what Steve does? I don't know. Because it's this giant 500 foot wingspan thing that is now essentially a prop plane. Right. And now or or a um, uh, an air glider. Right. It's yeah. just kind of, you know, uh, floating around up there. But anyway, I was just trying to contextualize, like, how fast is this thing actually going and is it realistic for the time? And actually it was. So there you go. Okay, good. So we're okay on that front, at least. On that front, at least. (laughs) Now, okay. Now, my next question is, plans by the SSR when a a ship like this is starting to crash, Colonel Phillips, the colonel, the, the head person in the room, hears Steve's plea saying, there's no way to have a safe landing with this thing. And his response is to tap Marita on the shoulder and say, you know what, let's let her have have a moment with her boyfriend. And leaves. <laughs> and? What's your problem with this? <laughs> you know, 
This is a military operation. Why are they not staying there to like work it out militarily? It's like he's written off Steve and said, you know what? This kid is just the sacrificial lamb. Here he goes throwing himself on the grenade again. Yeah. All right. I guess I'll let him do it. Is this the final thing? Like you, you, I think, have been carrying a torch for the colonel to really be hating Steve the whole time. That he never softened to Steve. And maybe this is that final nail in the coffin, that it's the colonel's way of just being done with Steve for good. Uh, maybe. Maybe that's what it is. All right. I think it's because he's realized, the colonel has realized that he's in a 1940s style romantic <laughs> war flick. <laughs> so, and it's like, Exit for this <laughs> for moment. Romance. Okay, so so while they were as on their way up to the cockpit, he uh, went to the bathroom and accidentally ended up in the movie theater bathroom and saw a bit of the movie. He goes, oh, this is oh. what I'm in. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. It, this is it's meta. We've just broken the fourth romance wall. Colonel Phillips is is our <laughs> meta character mm -hmm. for the movie. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, he's going to look at us and say. You're going to love this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it's yeah, go, ahead, go ahead. Yeah, ahead, I yeah. get what you're saying, but I think it is like because the dialogue between Steve and Peggy is very romantic and, you know, starts to get very romantic. And the way that they're you know, shot where you get to see their, you know, beautiful faces and tears running down and her gorgeous, you know, gorgeously applied lipstick and his blue eyes and everything. It's like, it, it is shot like it's this romantic scene between two people that love each other and are, are kind of saying how, how may, you know, each one sort of, how may I help the other one get through these moments so i do think there is a shift in tone and that yeah the, i mean not all joking aside but it is kind of like you know because it is sort of look a little funny and fun when he points you know <laughs> he's like let's exit yeah. this room it, we're now they're both in this soft light yeah it's constantly and soft the, focus this is for yeah them. right right yeah it it's a it's a uh, it yes <laughs> they have to set it up for what's happening it just in context of the story it's like okay well now here's here's something that i wonder if uh, would have helped me is something showing us that steve was trying to adjust the ship like he was actually trying to steer it a different direction but because of something Schmidt had done, it was pulling itself back on yeah. course. Like it would that not. The ship was broken. Yeah. Like there's some. There, if there was something telling me, oh, okay, that he has to stay in the cockpit in order for it to go where he's pushing it to go, um, as opposed to you know the the autopilot thing that's going on. Right. Um, and that's not here. It's just like, and then he seems to die. I mean, we're not quite there, but he, he will dive the plane and he'll crash into the ice. So it's like, he can pilot the plane. Why is this his decision? And on top of that, if he's going to crash it into the water, if that's the thing that he says makes the most sense, he has six flagger parasites in the back, these little drop planes aim it for the water, run to the back and hop in one of those and fly out of there. Okay. I'm just saying, he's got options. All right. Also, though, 
Do like not for a minute did you let your romantic Andy out of the closet under the stairs? Like not even for a hot second. <laughs> Did you let that guy breathe? Like it's a it's a moment. They're having a moment. <sighs> I know. I'm I, I'm not. I don't disagree with you. I think when it's ridiculous, but it's also kind of beautiful. Like the way it is shot, the way the plane when he tilts the plane down and the sky moves up that giant window. There's a lot of gorgeous filmmaking in here. If you can get past the stupid, and I'm asking if you could get past the stupid. Sure, it's fine. I mean. Haley Atwell and Chris Evans, they have uh, genuine chemistry, and I feel like that connection between them. And when Joe Johnston does that soft push in on Haley Atwell's sad little face as the tears well up in her eyes, and we see Chris Evans struggling behind the steering command for the ship, and the wind is blowing his hair, and he's making these decisions, and she's trying not to cry. Like, sure, I, I definitely feel that sense of connection between these characters. And I feel the romance and I feel all of those things because I do like these characters. And I feel like despite the issues that we've had with, you know, her finding uh, an attraction to him once he kind of became hunky, you know, I do feel that there is this kind of connection between them. I like the characters. I like the way that the story has crafted their connection. I think that all of that works nicely and so I, I do feel it and we're going to be feeling it for a few more minutes. And I, I find it works every time. And I think a lot of it is the acting. Like, I think both actors are really delivering, you know, and and so I like that connection. It's just the story ends up feeling so written and absurd when there are so many apparent options. Like if we had if there had been clear evidence that Schmidt had done something, you know, when he fixes the plane and, and writes it so that he, so Steve can't take it off course, right? So that's a thing. And actually in the script, in order for Steve to take it off course, what he has to do is rip a whole bunch of wires, uh, like cables out of the ground and, and kind of kill the engines. And then he's able to actually pilot it into the, into the ice. If that had been in there, I wouldn't have had as many issues. If somehow all of those little uh, drop planes in the back had been disabled or something like I, I would have bought into it more. But because there are so many ways that feel so obvious, in fact, even when he's crashing the plane onto the top of the ice, which I know we're not quite at yet, it seems like he's kind of doing it in a way like, you know, airline pilots have done it where they they skid onto a runway where like their their wheels won't come down and they have to skid onto a runway to land and everybody still walks out of the plane okay. So I feel like the movie is setting up so many ways for Steve to be okay, <laughs> yet I'm, I'm still supposed to buy into the romance. So I don't know. Anyway, okay. that's, that's okay. me being rambly and, and complaining. <laughs> but it's so romantic. I'll let you have it. I'll let you have it because it's 60 seconds and let's say, you know, maybe 180 seconds of just like, oh, these are two people who never had a chance who and and I'm the one who for like 90 straight minutes of this movie thought oh no they're just in it for science but now I'm in it for the love Andy I'm in it for the romance and now I just want them to have this moment of loss and grief and goodbye because they both believe that this is the end and it ends up being a what a 20 movie arc for them to actually say goodbye and that's fun and have a dance 
Yeah. And it's better now that I know that they actually get a dance someday. <laughs> I don't know. Heidi, what do you think of, of the romance with, uh, with Steve and Peggy? Do you, do you buy into it? Do you like it? Let me rephrase that question. Tell, tell Andy why he's wrong. That's what I need. No, I mean, I have no, to me, it's like do each their own on everything, you know? Um, and I don't expect these movies to be perfect. And so to me, this is like, this is one of the more rewatchable of the, of the MCU. And I don't expect every moment to be perfect and to me it was like oh this like you said this end part is to to it's a means to an end right like it has to happen this way for the rest of the storytelling but it doesn't mean that i don't find the moments between the two of them here very moving and yeah i think they're both absolutely terrific and then like expanding beyond this movie. Like I loved the agent Carter television series and have watched it over and over again. And uh, I wish it could have had the budget, you know, that the Marvel series get now, but I thought it was awesome. And um, the way that, that cap, you know, grows and evolves throughout the other films is, is fantastic. So, I mean, there's nothing I don't, like you know whether it be his and and i mean honestly yeah whether it be his awesome beard and longer hair to um, you know america's ass it's <laughs> like he's a very appealing person <laughs> as a character you know he's very handsome but also we get to see his personality deepen and him you know learn and grow and gain friends and, you know, pass along the, the mantle and her, you know, being able to, you know, the alternate uh, storytellings. Sorry, everybody. I don't have everything all, <laughs> all listeners, like everything right up my fingertips to remember all this. But, you know, when she gets to be um, Captain Carter and, um, you know, play that role, uh, whether it be, in the animated form or also in the um Doctor Strange the multiverse. What is it? Yeah. Multiverse. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's an amazing character. She's one of my favorites. And then, you know, I've seen them obviously I don't know them personally, but I've seen the two actors, you know, on different social platforms or listening to him on, you know, Doug Loves movies and seeing her on Instagram a long time ago doing playful, fun, you know, dance competitions and things kind of pre-TikTok sort of stuff. I mean, they're just really fun people. So there's just nothing for me not like. And and I also like when I think about things that trip me up, there are certainly movies or parts of movies where I just go, this doesn't make enough sense to me. There's not enough rules. This I'm not engaged. I'm not invested. I don't care. This doesn't make sense. I mean, there's plenty of things out there that are like that. So it's not like I don't notice. Yeah. It's just more like, do I care enough for this to bother me? No. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. But that doesn't mean I discount your, you know, thoughts on it, Andy. It's just like what do I care about in this moment, yeah. in this moment, not that. Well, and to my point yesterday, I suppose there is an element of 
Steve having to make all of these decisions very quickly, right? And uh, you know, he's in this in this in this pilot's seat here, trying to fly this massive, massive plane, trying to figure out what to do with it. And yeah, so he probably has very little time, and he's aware of that, and so he's just making decisions that may not be the best. And I, I suppose that's what you have to. That's what I have to do is say. He doesn't, you know, he's not able to think as quick or have the time to put together as smart a plan because his time is very limited. Yeah. So there, there's, there's my own no prize. (laughs) 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 Well, let's, okay. So what do we think of, I'm curious where both of you stand on this kind of this personality that Steve exhibits of this, the way that he views self-sacrifice, because as you pointed out in yesterday's minute, Heidi, this is him jumping on that grenade to protect people, right? This is that same moment. But he also won't let other people do this. Like when Vision uh, you know, wants to sacrifice himself later in the um, in Infinity War, he won't let him do that. In fact, he sacrifices a whole bunch of Wakandans and a bunch of other people and uh, you know a bunch of people to try saving Vision Where's that stand? Does it, does it, uh, how do you both feel about the way that Steve um, kind of reacts to that idea of self sacrifice? I mean, I don't know his childhood, you know, and, and I, I noticed um, the very last minute that we're going to talk about that, that it says like in his little dossier that he doesn't have next of kin. So, like, I don't know, I don't know his lore Mm -hmm. right so i don't know it's just from this you know initially from watching the decisions he makes from this movie so yeah maybe you know he growing up as the little guy for for his childhood and young adult life like he doesn't have a lot of life experiences and then he's very this is a very short-term experience having all this muscle and learning to be a leader he seems to be a natural leader and he seems to be intelligent and all that but he's still kind of a naive young person too so i I don't know do you have any thoughts pete i think there's a certain like double standard that cap has always had that it's okay for him to do things because he's the leader and is protecting his people by taking on the mantle of doing the things that no one else can or should do that he is willing to sacrifice loss of family and loss of of relationships because he doesn't have any right now right or or uh you know his because he has experienced that loss already and feels i think sort of fungible as as kind of a resource to doing good and that double standard doesn't always wash that it, it's it's frustrating sometimes because like you you say part of what makes that these minutes frustrating is that steve is wearing that mantle so comfortably in the face of obvious ways out of it yeah and and that i feel like is the is the conflict that that we see here that on on one hand we want steve to be able to be the hero we want him to be able to save the day and protect people and do so at his own sacrifice because that feels good it makes us it engenders our emotional support for this character and i think that's what the 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 character is doing here and boy if you stop for a second to think about it it sure does make him kind of a uh kind of a like uh, insufferable um <laughs> 
Well, yeah, and I think you know, I think there's a lot of elements from what both of you said, and and Heidi, the idea of this guy who grew up very scrawny, always kind of viewed himself as less than, even though he had you know um, visions of himself doing much more. But he was a little guy. He knew he was a little guy. He when they when Bucky took him on the date with the, those two girls. Like he almost was just like, I'm only here because Bucky dragged me along. Obviously, you have no interest in me. Like he he already sells himself short. And I think that there might be something with that growing up with that mentality, thinking that uh, that maybe he still can't let go of. Like he thinks of himself as less than others, even though even when he is Captain America, but like with Vision, he thinks that he's less than Vision. And so. We can't sacrifice vision, but if if there has to be a sacrifice, it's me because I'm less than, you know, what what you all have. And and so yeah. there could be some psychological capacity along that line that might make some sense. Yeah. All right. Um, well, this minute builds. We've got this uh, this moment as uh, Steve and Peggy have this conversation. There's no way out. He pulls out the compass with the little picture of Peggy in it, which is... Cute to to the point of what you're saying. It's very cute. It's that idea of a a physical object kind of being the representation. So he's got Peggy right there with him, and uh, then he puts it in a dive and um, heads down toward uh, the ice. And that's kind of that's kind of where the minute ends. As he calls out to her one last time, and we hear her call back. Any last thoughts about this, or should we uh, should we wrap up shop for today and come back to talk more about all of this tomorrow? I guess just, I mean, this is probably obvious, but like the compass isn't, is an image of her, but it's also a compass, right? So it's like, it's his North Star, you know, she is home Yeah, yeah. for him. Music is lovely. The music cues are really picking up that, that emotional nod, the sky, the color is beautiful. We get a lovely sort of rose color in the sky. I love the way the clouds play with the ship, particularly as it's flying. You know, we get that that far, like, above shot, high shot, looking down on the ship as it crosses diagonal across the sky. It's just lovely. Like, there is some beautiful stuff in this minute of just, like, straight-up filmmaking. So I, I think it it is appealing to me aesthetically. Mm-hmm. And I think that is also a salve to some of the, you know, some of the other stuff that that might get away, get in the way of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I think. Some of these films are rewatchable when I'm in the mood to go through the high emotional experience of like Black Panther, Mm -hmm. as soon as it starts, the music makes me cry. Mm -hmm. Everything makes me cry. I enjoy it. I laugh. I cry. I feel everything. (laughs) And so I have to be kind of ready for that experience. And for this, it's a bit more of a, oh, let me throw on, you know, this one. So, and it is because, yeah, it's just the, it looks it looks lovely. It's yes, there's some emotional beats to it, but it's it's a bit more of a popcorn muncher. Gotcha, gotcha. In a jolly good way. <laughs> Spoken <laughs> like you. Fallsworth. Jolly good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Heidi, remind everybody where they can find out what you're up to out there on the internet. Yeah, vibrantvisionaries.com is the place to find the podcast, the YouTube channel, and anything else I'm up to. Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun today. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 108. Check out her sites, everybody. And Pete, until next time. 
We continue tomorrow with Captain America by Nicholas Sparks. (laughs) (laughs) Till next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. <laughs>